Coming up today, we've got Griezmann going glittery, Barcelona back to victory, Napoli scoring four, Pedro Pinto quick on the draw, Bayern are flying, Neymar still not good Bayern, plus more on the biggest names in the European game, from Porto and PSG to Lee Catamol, all in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Well, hello everybody and welcome once again to Totally Football Show's Continental Edition. Uh, joined today by uh, James Horncastle. Good day to you, James. Good day to you, Alvaro Romeo. Hola. And that's it. Listen, it's just the three of us. On speed dial, we've got Julian Laurence, Raphael Honigstein and, this is exciting, Pedro Pinto, the man with his hands on UEFA's warm balls. Uh, and uh, hopefully he'll be telling us all about uh, Benfica Porto and more later on because it's been a huge weekend, Alvaro. All five European leagues up and running. Also, one week left in the transfer window. It's all happening. It's all happening and maybe the best is still to happen if Neymar makes it to Barcelona. Oh, Apparently, okay. PSG, I know, the, <laughs> the Neymar saga was long and it's still lingering, yes. but uh, Barcelona made uh, an attempt last week and PSG is not too sure about accepting that. There's plenty of other topics, not least the return of Syria. Yeah, one hell of an opening weekend as well. How many goals, James? I think we had 29. I believe you're we've correct. We've still got a game to be played. Inter Lecce. Inter Lecce. Monday night. All right, well, while we wait for the Nerazzurri up against the Giallorossi from down south. The Salentini. The Salentini. Let's have a bit of a roundup on wonderful Super Soraway City A. City out back after a hot and sweaty summer and getting underway in traditional fashion with a full smoke machine and lasers introduction for Fiorentina's brand new signing, Frank Ribery. This was, when was this? This was last week, James, at yeah. the Artemio Franchi Stadium. And then, if that wasn't exciting enough, on Saturday, with Frankie on the bench, Fiorentina took on Napoli in the season opener. Quiet game, James. <laughs> Nothing much happened. Now, everything happened. Seven goals. Um, you had VAR controversy. You had some wonderful individual goals, wonderful team goals. It was really back and forth. You had teams that, in Fiorentina's case, had a lot of new faces, um, some of whom they've signed, some of whom have come through the youth ranks. It's a very young team. 23 and a half was the average age, which youngest Fiorentina side in 25 years. Mm. Um, and then you had Napoli, um, who started very slowly indeed, uh, first 20 minutes, but I think that was because Fiorentina made them look very slow. Right. Uh, and they came out of the blocks 100 miles an hour, partly because the atmosphere in Florence over the last week with the signing of Ribéry, with Rocco Camiso, the president being in town, the boss, him going before the Curva Fiesoli, before the game, holding up a purple Stars and Stripes flag, the fans wanted him to actually watch the game in the Curva Fiesoli, uh, but he said, I'm an old man, I've got a bad back. And so he went to watch it from the uh, kind of balustrade. Right, where nice. Cheki Gori. Where Cheki Gori used to stand up on his little legs yeah. and wave. <laughs> so there's so much excitement in Florence, uh, Alvaro, about, about Rocco Comiso because he's, he's absolutely loaded. Season ticket sales are up. You've had these kind of high-profile signings. You mentioned the young age, slightly towards the other end of the age spectrum, the signings like Kevin Prince-Boating and Frank Ribery coming in, neither of whom was in the starting lineup. But absolutely blistering start, aided by the referees absolutely gifting a penalty to Fiorentina. 
Mertens then equalised. Then you had Insigne with the first of his two goals, putting Napoli in the lead. Then Milinkovic pulls it back to 2-2. Then Callahan, a wonderful team move, makes it 3-2 to Napoli. What happened next? Boateng comes Boateng on. Boateng comes off the bench and makes a, an immediate impact. Great goal. Receives the ball with his back to goal. Turns. Fires this shot across goal. Goes in off the post. And the Frankie just erupts. And to be honest, Fiorentina, who'd, as we said, blistering start, had played at a pace which I don't think many people expected them to play at, all of a sudden faded, particularly in midfield. And that allowed Napoli to get... More on the ball, and we saw some of the best kind of football that we associate with Napoli, not only under Ancelotti, but under Maritou Sarri. And the winning goal was just quintessentially Napoli with those front three, the Folletti, the little uh, fairy tale sprites, if you like, nice. um, all combining, but in different kind of positions from where you'd usually expect them to, with Mertens appearing in Insigne's position on the left, playing a pass that Insigne usually plays to Cajon at the far post, and Cajon pulling it back for Insigne. The three smallest guys on the pitch... And Insigne with a stooping header to win the game. Just uh, magnificent. Provato comunque il taglio Callejon che arriva al centro per Insigne. 4-3 per il Napoli. Di testa Insigne. It was interesting during the game you saw uh, Ribery going to train behind the uh, behind the goal where the ultras uh, stand. And then whenever there was a cooling break, kind of getting young Sotil under his wing and, and passing on advice and instructions, um, which is, you know, exactly kind of uh, what they brought in Ribery to do because last year Fiorentina were a very young side, too raw. When the going got tough, they didn't have the experience to basically say, don't be phased by this, it's going to be okay. And Ribery immediately showed that uh, he could help out in that way, as did Boateng when he came on. And uh, it's interesting because Ribery in his press conference, he was asked, you know, what should the expectations of Fiorentina fans be? And he was like, well, I think we should be competing for Champions League and maybe even the top three, which um, I think is... Uh, a hell of a tall order uh, for, for Fiorentina, but just goes to show the kind of enthusiasm that there is right. um, there at this moment in time. Advice about the only thing he was passing on on Saturday. <laughs> seemed to be pretty keen on, on trying to win the match on his own. When, yeah, when, I felt when he, he should have had a penalty as well. That, that's yeah. Um, although that uh, happened outside of the box. Um, but uh, yeah, the video assistant referee and the referee did not uh, cover themselves in glory in this game, particularly for... Napoli's second goal, which got them in front, Mertens clearly diving, and uh, the video assistant referee apparently told Fiorentina's sporting director Daniele Prade after the game that, uh, oh, there's a camera angle that you haven't seen, and yet the TV companies all have the same camera angles, and they then showed the camera angle, and it's like, well, it's still a dive, what are yeah. you talking about? And so, they will not be refereeing in the next round of games, they've been suspended. So that's suspended. both Massa, the in-game official, and Valeri, who was in charge of the... VAR. Yeah, because still in, in City A, you have VARs on location. Um, they're not in a Stockley Park-style HQ. Um, they are building one in uh, Covicciano, which is just a couple of kilometers away from, uh, from the Artemio Franchi, where these mistakes took place. Um, but um, yeah, not a great start. And as I said, they'll be suspended for the next round of games. Won't be coming back until after the international break, because they've got to learn from those mistakes, James. Right, just like they did every time they've been suspended in the past. Yes. Always works out. <laughs> Brilliant game to watch. Napoli next weekend are going to be at Juventus. They had a rather more measured victory. Yes, I was there in Parma. It oh, was, great, uh, okay. So tell day. us about your trip to the Tardini. All right, it's just one of the best places to go, not only for food, but um, just to go and watch football as well because it's one of those stadiums where there isn't a running track. The crowd is kind of on top of the pitch. And you could see there was um, a lot of anticipation for this game. It was a sellout, uh, great kind of atmosphere in the, in the Cordova with the sort of blue and yellow flags. And 
To be honest, I was expecting more from Palmer. Uh, I thought Juventus played very well um, in the in the first half. Um, it was a, an interesting starting eleven uh, from Giovanni Matuscello, not uh, Maurizio Sarri, who was still in Turin uh, recovering from pneumonia. Won't yeah, be. Yeah, which is uh, that's a curious one. How did that come about? Run down, traveling a lot in right. uh, in, in Asia, and you know, Juventus have been here, there, and everywhere over the summer. And so there was a statement put out on Friday which uh, says that um, essentially uh, Sarri's overdone it and needs to take some time out in order to focus on his recovery because um, this can deteriorate very badly and Mm. can in some cases be fatal. Sure. Um, And he not only missed the Palmer game but will miss the Napoli game next weekend. Um, And uh, what was curious about uh, the event of starting 11 was it was more or less exactly the same as the one that uh, Massimiliano Allegri would have put out. 4-3-3, very Allegri midfield with uh, Kadira, Matuidi and uh, and Pjanic in the middle. Uh, I think if you'd told anyone that there was going to be Juventus' first midfield of the season uh, a few weeks ago, they would have uh, they would have laughed um, because I think with Matuidi and Kadira, they're seen as two players who are moving out the door and very much kind of symbolic of the old philosophy. And also, you know, then you see Benucci and Chiellini starting at the back, not Delict, the guy right. they've spent 75 million on. In Co- fact, their bench, I mean, the, the point was made that their bench would have a fair run at the title themselves. Yeah. Buffon, Delict and Danilo, Chan, Rabio, Bentenko, Benedeschi, Quadrado and Dybala are all yeah. sat there. Demiral as well. Demi- right. No Ramsey because Ramsey's still uh, still recuperating. Uh, Rugani wasn't in the squad because um, he looks like he'll be moving on in the, in, in the coming week. But uh, yeah, a lot of talent on the bench. Delict um, was then quoted in some Dutch papers saying he, he, he would have preferred to have played, was disappointed not to, but respects the decision of the coach. But of course, the, the big talking point after the game was also Dybala did not start the game, even though he played very well in the final friendly against Triestina, and he didn't come on either. And one of the, the other talking points was the fact that Higuain, who looked like he didn't have a future at Juventus, sold once to Milan, then twice to Chelsea, and he's been returned to sender, is very much the centre of um, Maurizio Sarri's plans, it seems, for, for this Juventus side. And was playing very close together with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, almost in a two up front rather than a 4-3-3 and, and, and played pretty well, I would say. It's curious, isn't it? Chiellini got the goal. Yeah. Ronaldo had a goal which was then uh, chalked off for offside. Yeah, very marginal offside. Mm. But um, again, I mean, Ronaldo was doing everything possible to score. I think he had seven of uh, Juventus's 14 shots. The other kind of bright point for Juventus was uh, Douglas Costa, who again looked like he didn't really have a future at Juventus after an excellent second half of his first season when he was probably the best player in the league last year he was a major disappointment um, he got a big ban I think in what their second or third game of the season against Sassuolo and then was injured car wreck partying with Neymar just seemed to be on the transfer list essentially and showed us what everyone got excited about him when he he first moved to Juventus which is just incredible pace searing pace you saw it for that goal which was disallowed for Ronaldo it's all down to Costa so I would say that was the new look, really, about Juventus, was that front three. Sarri at home then with pneumonia. Bologna's manager, meanwhile, Sinisa Mihailovic, uh, turning up for uh, Bologna's clash with Verona at the Bentegodi, despite the fact that he was diagnosed with leukaemia earlier this, this summer. Really remarkable to see him there. Extraordinary. Players weren't expecting it, even though he had promised uh, when he went into hospital uh, to begin his first round of chemotherapy, that he would be there on the bench for the first uh, game of the season. He showed up by surprise outside their team hotel in in Verona. Um, Then 
uh, got a cut to the game, and uh, you saw him looking, you know, very gaunt. Has clearly lost a, a lot of weight, and Verona were informed before that he would be coming up, so they prepared a special coach's dressing room, if you like, where they sterilized everything for him. You saw him walk through the mix zone with a uh, kind of surgical mask on because I think he's at, at risk of infection after this uh, this round of uh, chemotherapy. His uh, immune system's down, and yet he insisted on being there and wanted to, I suppose, show courage and hope that his team could gather some inspiration from right. that. First time he'd left the hospital in 40 days. Remarkable stuff. They got a 1-1 draw to open their season away at uh, Verona. Uh, did Bologna and best wishes to him with his ongoing recovery crazy game Sunday evening between uh, Roma and Genoa Roma taking the lead three times we're getting pegged back three times by the Griffoni Atalanta 2-0 down away at Spau but then you signing turned that around for them yeah Luis Muriel um, who they, they spent 15 million for came on off the bench and uh, and helped them complete a comeback, uh, which in some respects shouldn't come as a surprise because this is what Atalanta do. They recovered more points from losing positions than any other team in Serie A um, last season. And, you know, Gasparini was saying afterwards that, yeah, even in the first half where they were 2-0 down, they were creating loads and loads of chances. Mm. Um, they just weren't taking them. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be... Interesting to see how they can they, they can manage playing on on three fronts because they they did it in the past when they're in the Europa League and, and did very well in that competition, and just listening to some of the players over the last week, Martin Darun saying they want the toughest group possible in the Champions League um, because it's their first time in the Champions League, and they want the opportunity to go and play at Real Madrid or at Barcelona or one of the big English clubs just to savor the moment. So I think that um, kind of really speaks to the mentality of these uh, these Atlanta players. Right, quite possible they'll have a much freer uh, calendar <laughs> if that takes place. Elsewhere on this opening weekend, oh dear, Milan, their opener under their new manager, Giampaolo, where Udinese, they lose 1-0, no shots whatsoever from the Rossoneri. How yeah. worried should they be, do you think? Well, it's only match day one. So. Yeah, pre-season was pretty rank as well, though. I mean, they played well without getting results, I suppose. Mm. I think the issue is is that uh, Giampaolo has a very specific style of play. Um, he likes to play 4-4-2 with a diamond. And Milan are a team that has a lot of wingers. And their best player is a winger, Suzo, um, who has played well as a number 10 in pre-season. But I still think he's ill-suited um, to that role. And you know, same faces in that Milan team as we saw on the Gattuso last season, um, but in different positions. I mentioned Suzo playing as a 10, but Chalinolu playing in front of the defence as a deep-line playmaker as well. That didn't really work out. And I think that was a consequence of A, Bilia being injured and Benasser coming back late from the African Cup of Nations where he was the, the player of the tournament. I think the major issue is Piontek. Um, I think Piontek could be a, a big flop um, this season. A, because he did so much better than expectation last year. He blew everyone away. Can he back it up? Um, I think it's a very different system. and He's a very different striker to the one that Giampaolo had in Fabio Qualiarella, who loves to come short, link the play, participate with his teammates. Um, Piontek is a fox in the box. That's it. And he was very isolated and... Becao, the uh, Udinese centre-back, had him in his pocket for, for, for 90 minutes. And to be honest, it wasn't that difficult a job for him. So I think we still have to see these new signings all integrated into the team. Um, Teo Hernandez, the fullback from Real Madrid, he got injured in pre-season. Um, ben Asser, um, as I mentioned, excellent at Empoli last year, excellent at Africa Cup of Nations with Algeria, who won the tournament. And Leao, there's lots of a lot of hype around Leao and, and, and what he can do. So... We haven't really seen the full potential of this Milan side yet. The disappointment, James, is that they've got a very easy 
run of fixtures going into the derby in match day four. They should really be building up ahead of steam. I think they were hoping to be on maximum points or seven out of nine going into that game and it, and it just hasn't happened for them. Intergo Monday evening, still no word on what's going to happen with Mauro Icardi, although I was intrigued by Antonio Cassano's insistence on Tiki Taka, the TV show, that he, he says, uh, I confirm what I said months ago, Icardi will never set foot on a field again. It's over. I don't see him as a footballer. Yeah, and he was obviously sat across from uh, Icardi's wife and agent, Wanda, at the time. Um, and Wanda's comments were pretty spectacular as well. Says that um, people who matter at Inter want him to stay. Right. I think she's alluding to the president, Stephen Zhang, and that as far as she's concerned, he will be staying at Inter for the foreseeable future, given he's got two years on his, uh, on his contract. But, um, Pretty remarkable, though, for Cassano to come out and say that a current player is, is, is effectively never going to find his way into a team where he's happy, where they're happy with him. Yeah, well, I suppose you know, Cassano's in a pretty good position to say that, uh, really, because he's been through uh, right. a lot of this. Um, and he can maybe see things that um, the people closest to Icardi can't as to the damage that this is doing to his career, potentially, because... Um, when Conte was asked about this in his press conference on Saturday, he said, you know, nothing's changed for me. You know, we've decided on, on this and we're not going to go back on it. And it was very interesting seeing Rajana Ingolan um, speak um, after Cagliari's defeat to Brescia um, because he was like, I thought I had a chance of getting into this inter, inter team. Um, they took me on tour, but they purely took me on tour to train against the the first team that Conte had in mind. Um, I thought I was going to get some time in friendlies. I could change Conte's mind became very apparent that that wasn't going to be the case so I had to basically accept the decision and move on mm. and take the best decision for my career um, and it, for his family in, in Nyingaland's sense yeah of okay. course I mean yeah. it, with Nyingaland if another Champions League club had come for him he would have gone for another Champions League club but he's chosen to go to Cagliari A because that's where he kind of made his name and started his career but it's where he met his wife and his, his wife has been diagnosed with, with breast cancer so it's going there allows him to be close to her family uh, and friends um, but yeah it was interesting seeing how Nyingalan is choosing to look at it and how Icardi is choosing to look mm. at it because it's the very same situation but very different outlook It's nice to have a break from advertising so here's some classical music Nice hmm at Paddy Power, we thought football shirts could use a break from advertising too. That's why we've sponsored Huddersfield Town's shirt without a logo and started the Save Our Shirt campaign where any football team that Paddy Power sponsor will be, well, unsponsored. <laughs> Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt too? Now, let's get Bark to the music. <laughs> Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. It's only game week two, but there are two huge matches on City A coming up this weekend. They're both live on Premier Sports. UV and Napoli face each other Saturday night and it's the Rome Derby on Sunday afternoon. Premier Sports is available for just 11 for Sky and Premier Player customers and also available on Virgin TV. And Premier Sports have a special offer for City A fans. You can get an annual subscription for just £49 on Sky and the Premier Player, which includes all the action from the City A season. This offer, though, ends this coming Monday. Right then, Alvaro. Now, I know you're eager to tell us all about an exciting hello, weekend. Hello, Oh, hang on, right. Julian LaRose. Jules. Hello, James. Hello. Where are you? I'm in Italy. 
your beloved Italy, not far from Siena, on holidays with the family and some friends. Well, that's such great news. That's such great news. Were you able from uh, the Bel Paese to actually catch up on another complicated weekend for Paris Saint-Germain in Ligue 1? Yes, I mean, first I went to see um, a Serie C match uh, between Siena and uh, and Olbia, which was a, uh, let me tell you, 2-1 win for Olbia, two goals on set pieces, which we knew that Siena was was weak on set pieces. That was their weakest link. Right. Uh, and it was it was it was a wonderful afternoon, to be fair. But yeah, you're right. PSG had another complicated evening, let's say, last night, where they won four 0 against Toulouse, but they lost two players in Kylian Mbappe on injury. It looks like his thigh and Edison Cavani as well uh, came off injured. So it would have been very good, I think, for Thomas Tuchel to be able to count on Neymar. Uh, he's still obviously not involved in the squad for the for the league matches. He trains with the team now. There's still not much news regarding his departure or him staying at the club either. And the clock is ticking a bit with the end of the transfer window approaching. But it's still a bit of a mess, to be fair, in Paris. Although in the Paris de France last night, there was no bad chanting against him. There was no banners against him either. It was actually all about Choupo-Moting last night. Right, because he comes on for Cavani, is that right? Yeah, indeed, yeah. And scores a brace, the first of which was quite remarkable. Absolutely incredible. Actually, reminded everyone about the goal Neymar himself scored against Toulouse. So, you know, same team as Choupo-Moting scored against yesterday with a, an individual piece of brilliance where he goes between two defenders uh, with like a 360 turn, if you want, and then on his left foot. It was an incredible goal, especially coming from Choupo-Moting, who you don't expect really him to score goals like that. If he'd been Neymar or Mbappé, you would have seen it everywhere since last night on social media, on television. But it surprised a lot of people that Choupo-Moting could score a goal like this and did. But in fairness, he was the main man with Di Maria in PSG's win and with Cavani and Mbappé being injured now, with Neymar still not being back in the squad for the for the matches, they will rely a lot on, on Choupo-Moting between now and, and when Cavani and Mbappé are back. Right, they took about a month possibly for Mbappé. I'm not sure what the word is on Cavani, but uh, a lot of people comparing that Choupo-Moting goal to, do you remember that incredible one that Johan Gorkov scored for Bordeaux against Paris Saint-Germain? Certainly this, yeah. was, this was Tom Williams' thought uh, on, on Monday's show. Yeah, and he was right, to be fair. It's a 360 turn, although Gorkov was a bit more outside the, 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 the box than, than Choupo-Moting was. But yeah, it was, it was excellent. And Neymar scored a, a bit of a similar slalom through the Toulouse defence two years ago in one of his first matches at the Parc des Princes. And, and a lot of people back home as well were referring to, uh, to that goal for, for the Choupo-Moting one. Well, terrific for the eighth best side in Ligue 1 to get the victory then against Toulouse. But how worried should they be, Jules, with no Neymar until that's sorted out and Mbappé and Cavani out? Yeah, they should be worried, especially with the Champions League coming back in, in three weeks now. The good thing for them, I guess, is that the international break is coming very soon now. And those two weeks with no matches will help both Cavani and Mbappé to get fit, but also Ander Herrera to get fit, and Thilo Kehrer and Julian Draxler. And yesterday, uh, Abdou Diallo as well looked like he, he was having, you know, he was being ill or something. So he was taken off just before halftime as well. So all those injuries that they have, which shouldn't be happening for a club like PhD so early in the season, but mm. they are, you know, for a fact they're there. The, the international break at least will help them to sort them out before the Champions League starts in, in three weeks' time. I see. 
In the meantime, what else happened this weekend? Rennes, who beat PSG last weekend, had another victory this time at Strasbourg, and they stay top. Lyon are going to be in action on Tuesday. Two games were stopped for homophobic chanting this weekend in uh, Ligue 1. Yes, which is not the, the first time. So last weekend in Ligue 2, so in the second division, we had a game as well that was uh, stopped by the referee for a couple of minutes for homophobic chants from one of the one of the set of fans. And again and again this weekend, uh, in Brest first, the referee stopped after the, uh, the ultras chanted against the, uh, the French League. That was stopped and the, the stadium speaker said like, if, if those chants happen again in this game, the ref is going to call it off completely. And thankfully, they didn't happen again. And then again, in the, uh, I think in the Strasbourg game, uh, similar similar scenes happened with the referee stopping the game again for a couple of minutes until the, those chants stopped, which is something that we talked a lot in France this week after what happened in second division last weekend. And I think we'll talk about a bit more this week coming. And the league and, and everybody involved with the game wanting those to stop. And, and, you know, I think the referee, again, in those three incidents, took the right decision and it was really good to see. Jules, a couple other things before we let you get back to your holiday. Uh, transfer news. Johan Kabay is back in France at Saint-Étienne. Kebab, remember? Kebab. <laughs> Kebab, yeah. So, and uh, Renato Sanchez, excitingly, turning up at Lille. How optimistic are you that he will be able to recapture his form, the 22-year-old there? That's, that's the big question. And uh, it's exciting, I think, for the league, obviously, and, and for Lille. They got him for... For 20 million euros, which is, let's say, half of the price, a bit less than that, but let's say half of the price of what Bayern Munich bought him for uh, from Benfica just after the Euros when he was the, the best young player in the competition and had obviously that amazing season with Benfica. He, he says he's really excited by the, uh, the lead project. Luis, Luis Campos, the league sporting director, you know, who obviously knows him very well and they've, they've worked together before. So that would be a good thing for Sanchez in a, in, a, in a team that is young with a lot of momentum as well, with the Champions League playing as well. So there's a lot of good things for him happening. And for Kabay, it seems that like all French international are all coming back to, uh, to Saint-Étienne. Yann Mvila is there. Mathieu Debussy, obviously, is there. He's, he's, good, he's all good friend from Lille and Newcastle. So it makes sense for Kabay, who was on a free as well, uh, to go back to Saint-Étienne. And, and I'm sure if he can you know, recover some of his best form, will help the team uh, both in Europe and, and domestically as well. So it's, it could be a shrewd signing for them, like, like all the signings they made this summer and last summer as well. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Alvaro, sorry, we were saying, uh, now, Spain this weekend, an unusual set of games. Only two of the Liga's 20 teams managed to score more than one goal. One was Levante, who beat Villarreal 2-1, and the other came in Sunday night's game at the Camp Nou. Yes, that one at Camp Nou was an spectacular game. I have to say that uh, I was... uh, thinking that Barcelona could uh, be probably hostage of uh, some sort of a uh, team depression. Right. Because well, they were without Messi, they were without Suarez, and Betis had beaten them there this time last season, no? Absolutely. And when Betis indeed opened the scoring through Nabil Fekir, we were fearing the worst for Barca. Goal! All the eyes were on Antoine Griezmann, and he managed to deliver. He linked up really well with Rafinha, he linked up very well with Sergi Roberto, with Frenkie de Jong, Jordi Alba, and Barcelona managed to get a victory that didn't seem to be sure when Fekir scored the first goal. But 
probably I saw one of the most energetic Barcelonas in some time because uh, there were a couple of uh, academy players that uh, played. Uh, number one, Sergi Roberto in midfield, who offers plenty of uh, versatility and athleticism to Barcelona. And another one, Carles Pérez, playing in the right wing, uh, an academy boy. And he was very good for Barcelona. He managed to score the third goal of the team and uh, Barcelona ended up winning 5-2 and also they ended up using some academy players which is something that Valverde has been criticized about. Okay. His uh, lack of trust in the academy. However, yesterday he finally resorted to some academy players. Right, including the youngest Barcelona debutant for almost 80 years, Ansu Fati, who came on towards the end, but looked, looked pretty lively, didn't he, the 16-year-old? Yeah, very quick, and I really like uh, from the beginning how happy he was to come in. On the bench, they told him that he was going to come in, he took off his uh, training shirt very quickly, and uh, he put his uh, playing t-shirt, and he was eager to play for Barcelona. He only played 12 minutes, He's a 16-year-old guy, uh, born in Guinea-Bissau, coming from the Sevilla Academy. He was there until he was nine years old. And then Barcelona signed him and his older brother. Uh, and he has spent the last seven years at uh, Barcelona, training with uh, the academy team. His brother is there, uh, some sort of tutor for him. And uh, his father and his mom were watching the game with him yesterday. Uh, it was quite emotional for them because he wanted to come back home with them after the game in the tramp. And his father told him, don't do that because now you are famous. So come back with your brother. He will drive you home. And uh, now your status has changed. He's a very young prospect, very fast player. And I don't know if he will uh, make it to, to a pro or to be a professional. But definitely he's got the making to be a really good player. So a massive night anyway for Barcelona from very, very disappointing beginnings. They end up with this big win and a fantastic performance from a player who has a certain amount of pressure on him after his move across from Atletico Madrid, uh, Antoine Griezmann. Two goals, the second of which is an absolute peach, no? He said uh, after the game that... Uh, he managed to score such a goal because he copied that from Lionel Messi. So he was once again referring to Lionel Messi as Neymar did when he was playing as Barcelona, as a superior player that uh, happens to play alongside him. Mm. Griezmann obviously knows what the politics are at Barcelona and how to handle them. And the celebration was quite special because Antoine Griezmann has this uh, double personality. On the pitch, he's really, really hardworking and he doesn't do a lot of uh, tricks and flary things. Uh, he plays simple, but then off the pitch, normally he he acts like a teenager and his celebration was a bit of a teenage uh, celebration too. He got some confetti from the stands and he threw that confetti in the air just uh, to be nice in the picture. Yeah, so he basically he went the entire length of the pitch to find the person who had his confetti. And it's, it's in Barcelona colours, but all glittery. And then he throws it up in the air, a little bit like a kind of Peter Pan, Tinkerbell type thing. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it's going to catch on, but then again, uh, as we were mentioning on Monday, it's part of a long run of, of Griezmann goal celebrations, not least the one at the Anoeta where he, he jumped into the car that was parked by the pitch yeah. and his teammates piled in the back and they all waved. I remember that one very well. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't do that celebration anymore because Anoeta has removed the athletics track oh. from the stadium. Right. But yeah, that was the first one of uh, a number of very famous celebrations. Then he has been doing the Fortnite celebration for right. a number of seasons as well. And uh, he always has something prepared ahead of the games. OK. Barcelona looking much, much better, though. Got their energy back and a big win. They're still behind, though, their rivals in Madrid. And Seville as well. Uh, Lopetegui is Sevilla who are on top with Atletico Madrid. 
I think that we have to say that Sevilla is still a big conundrum. We don't know what's going to come out from there. Okay. On a Saturday, they played on Friday, sorry, they played with uh, six new players in the lineup, which is something that we still don't know how good the cohesion between new players is going to be. However, they are getting the results and they got a victory for 1-0 against Granada. Goal from Joan Jordan in the 52nd minute of the game gave Sevilla the victory and not only the victory, also the leadership on La Liga table. And then we have Atlético de Madrid. Again, they won the Atletico way, 1-0 against Leganés, with the goal of Vitolo on the 71st minute of the game. The pass was from Joao Félix, the Portuguese player, who happens to be this kind of player that doesn't appear a lot during the game. He doesn't have many actions, but uh, whenever he chooses to make a difference, he knows how to do it. Meanwhile, Real Madrid, a lot of excitement as they get held by Guardiola, but not that Guardiola. Another Guardiola. Another one. Sergi Guardiola, and he happens not to be a Barcelona fan, by the way. Right. He was born in Manacor, which is in the Balearic Islands. Okay. Normally, people from there support Barcelona just for geographical reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, Sergi Guardiola wasn't the case. He tweeted before El Clásico in 2013, eh, a la Madrid, eh, puta Catalunya. I can say right. this Don't in Spanish. Don't need to translate that. Yep. Okay, <laughs> good. Yeah. So, but he equalizes late on for Real Valladolid to prevent Zidane getting a much-needed win for uh, the Marenghis. Guardiola, that Guardiola, signed for Barcelona Academy team for only eight hours. Barcelona signed him in 2015. They wanted him to be part of the academy. And right after signing him, they found out that tweet you were mentioning before. So Barcelona, eight hours after signing the player, decided to sack him from the club. So he belonged to Barcelona for eight hours. And that was his... Full career as a Barcelona player. Wow, that's that's remarkable. On, on the subject of Real Madrid, it's early days, but it's nice to see that crisis talk is already well underway there. There's been rumours that they've already got Mourinho waiting in the wings for when Zidane decides to walk or, or gets pushed. Not sure how it plays into that, the fact that none of the 300 million euros worth of signings actually started this weekend. How, how bad, how tense is the situation there? I think that that tells a lot about uh, how good... The Real Madrid players who won the championship still are. I think that Zinedine Zidane is going to rely on them pretty much, plus Eden Hazard, who didn't play because he had an injury and he'll be back after the international break. But uh, if you see the lineup of Real Madrid last Saturday, it resembles the team of 2015. There was only one player who wasn't at Real Madrid when Zinedine Zidane took over back in 2015, and that is Thibaut Courtois. So after 300 million signings, the fact that the likes of Jovic, Militao, Mendy, and so on, don't make it into the team, say that Real Madrid perhaps haven't signed players who can actually challenge those people who live in a comfort zone. The likes of Tony Cruz, the likes of Sergio Ramos, Rafael Varane, and that can turn to be a terrible mistake ahead of the season. Speaking of Real Madrid signings, erstwhile Marenghi starlet Martin Edegor or Odegaard, as we used to call him, but apparently it's Edegor. Uh, now, Real Sociedad, he gave them a victory in their 1-0 win over Mallorca. Yes, and I think that Real Sociedad has a really good team. They managed to sign some of the youngest and probably best prospects in Spanish football, the likes of uh, Isaac, the Swedish striker, right. uh, a really good one as well, and uh, Miquel Oliarzabal, probably one of the best Spanish under-21 players. Uh, he comes... Uh, from the same generation as uh, Dani Ceballos and Fabian Ruiz, the Napoli player. And uh, they managed to beat uh, Mallorca with, uh, I wouldn't say comfortably, but uh, proving that they've got a, 
a terrific attacking lineup. They've got a very ambitious signing policy. They went for Iyaramendi when he left Real Madrid. They managed to keep Oyarzabal apparently turning down a 40 million offer from Athletic de Bilbao to sign the, the Basque player. The Basque Tarby is going to be played uh, next week, which is pretty exciting because it's Athletic de Bilbao, who's got four points against Real Sociedad, who are one of these teams that can be the breakthrough team of the season. So Real Sociedad will be definitely looking forward to get three points away because the first three games they have played this season have been away just because the stadium is still under renovation works. Mm -hmm. So if they manage to start the season with seven points after three games having played only away, it's a very promising start from them. Alvaro, that's fascinating stuff. Look forward to hearing how that goes in next Tuesday's show. Oop, phone's ringing again. Oh, it's Rafa Honisic. Should we take this? Rafa. Yeah, let's take it. Go on. Rafa, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Excellent. We're all good here at the Totally Football Show's Euro edition. Nice that you called in, actually, because uh, it was another busy weekend in the Bundesliga. Rafa, can we start with Friday? And, and thousands of Cologne fans crowding the cathedral ahead of their first game at home against Dortmund. Cologne um, need all the help they can get uh, of staying, <laughs> staying up. So uh, the attempt to uh, seek for some divine supporters is not something that's uh, necessarily new in, in German football, but it was still very moving and very lovely to see. Köln, I think, have a very special relationship uh, with their fans. Uh, it's also a very special city, a city where people really, really are incredibly nice, always seem to be uh, in a happy mood, uh, not the most sort of typical uh, German state of affairs. Um, and a readiness to party and have a good time at any given moment. And um, it even outlasted what in the end was a pretty comprehensive defeat uh, by Dortmund. Right. Although, you know, they did take the lead and they actually held on to the lead to, until the 70th minute against uh, Borussia Dortmund. They did. But, I mean, I think you put it right. They held on to the lead. I mean, Dortmund, after a very poor first half, they were a little bit um, low on energy, low on ideas. The second time they've come... Uh, from behind the season, it's the second time that they've found solutions for the sort of problems that uh, uh, sometimes thwarted them last year. And it just bodes really well for their season and for the title race on the whole. Jaden Sancho once again scoring and assisting. And this after much talk that he's going to sign a new deal or possibly might have already uh, worth a, a bundle of money. What are they talking about? £190,000 a week? Let's put it this way. Dortmund in the past have acknowledged when players have effectively become a little bit too big uh, for the club and have sought to address that imbalance by, by paying them a bit more money. But that happened with Lewandowski in his last season. Uh, it didn't stop Lewandowski from leaving on a free contract afterwards. So these two things might not be entirely connected. If the news are true and Dortmund have not yet confirmed it, and I haven't had a chance to speak anyone, uh, to anyone there either, I think it was, would just tell you that Sancho has, uh, again, made such an amazing start to the season that keeping it on a relatively low, and uh, we're talking in football terms, of course, mm. um, wages that he signed last year might create its sort of own problems and might um, make him more eager to, to leave in January. Uh, this, if it is true, I think would at least guarantee him staying until the end of the season. 
but everyone I have spoken to Dortmund in the past are very realistic and very pragmatic about his long-term future. And if they and he, him were to get a really big offer for next summer, I think that was always seen as a realistic uh, time frame for his departure. But it might, it might mean that it will be delayed by a year or two. But they are under no illusions at Dortmund that he will... Uh, leave eventually. I see. Someone who definitely has signed a new deal because Leipzig announced it last week is uh, Timo Werner there at RB. And within an hour of the announcement, he promptly scored the opener in Leipzig's 2-1 victory of Eintracht Frankfurt. This is really interesting because uh, Werner was out of contract for next summer. Uh, Leipzig put a lot of pressure on him to make up his mind before the start of the season. He wouldn't be drawn on it. Uh, in Munich, there were there were it was basically an open secret that he had agreed terms to join them next summer on a free contract by and like to do these things. But reading between the lines and, and having spoken to a couple of people, it seems that he was very disappointed that Bayern never made an attempt to, to bring that move forward. You know, their, their problems in the transfer market were well documented. Uh, they've had him, um, at least that's what I and, and many people close to the situation believe, they've had him sort of in reserve uh, but never attempted to uh, talk to Leipzig about uh, you know, getting him now this summer for a transfer fee. And I think, think he became a little bit disillusioned uh, with Bayern's lack of uh, appetite, if you will, uh, for, making, for forcing things through and has now decided to sign a new contract. And I think it's good, it's good news for him because he has a, um, a fixed position there at Bayern. I think he would have been um, a little bit uh, the 14th or 15th man. And uh, I think it's good news for the for the. Bundesliga because here's a German international player who's not going to play for any of the two big clubs. So um, it seems to me on the face of it that A, Bayern had themselves to blame for this and B, that it's ultimately a good move for, for, for certainly for him and for Leipzig. Excellent. Some more exciting news is the fact that Bastost is back in the Bundesliga. He's returned uh, from yeah. sporting and is joining Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I think there was also interest from uh, from a couple of other clubs. I think Schalke were in, in for him. But he's gone to Frankfurt. And Frankfurt, of course, have shown themselves to be the masters at picking up players who perhaps a, even a little bit under the radar or uh, underrated in terms of their performances. I think Dost is, is one of those guys who doesn't necessarily offer you a lot during games, but somehow finds himself on the scoring sheets more often than not. So it's um, it's a good one. And uh, I think it fills a void at Frankfurt because they have, of course, lost big Sebastian Aller and, uh, and Jovic as well. So they needed to bring someone in. Fair point. Schalke, who you mentioned, meanwhile, got taken apart by Bayern this weekend, 3-0 in a game which saw Philippe Coutinho come on uh, without, I think, uh, having much impact. I'm not sure you can tell me more about that. But one man who certainly had a massive amount of impact, Robert Lewandowski again. Yeah, scored a hat-trick. I think it's the ninth consecutive time he scores goals against Schalke, so very much his, his favourite opposition. Um, Schalke did OK. Uh, they created a few chances. Uh, they also got very unlucky with it. Uh, at least one and a half, I'd say, out of two uh, shouts for a, for a penalty, uh, where the um, very confusing handball rule uh, thwarted them, ultimately. But uh, Bayern and, and certainly Lewandowski himself were, once again, uh, irrepressible. He took uh, his chances really well. He scored a wonderful free kick. And that might have implications on Coutinho rather than the other way around because if Lewandowski is firmly ensconced on um, taking free kicks, then uh, 
uh, that would curtail Coutinho's possibilities a little bit. But on the day, he wasn't really needed. Uh, Lewandowski was an imperious form, and Bayern sort of quietly, business-like, uh, racked up what was a very convincing win and just eased the pressure and, and the noise a little bit. Um, there is still, I think, enough skepticism to go around, and uh, it might come back sort of to be a big issue when they get into the Champions League weeks. But for the moment, their start has been such that uh, not even Kovac's fiercest critics have got much much of a leg to stand on. I see. Five goals in two games now for Robert Lewandowski. Rafa, that, that's fascinating stuff. You're returning home soon, and, and you should be back with us next week, I believe. Absolutely, James. Can't wait. Me neither. All right, Rafa. Happy trails in the meanwhile. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao. Rafael Honigstein on holiday. All right, in a second or two, let's get the word on El Clasico, the big Benfica-Porto game from this weekend in Liga Nosh. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Yeah, Zay Zay top. Zay Luis there, getting Porto on their way in Saturday's Classico. 2-0 victory over Benfica, the side who pipped Porto to the title in Portugal last season. And joining us now on the line from Portugal, taking time out from emceeing glitzy UEFA draws, is Pedro Pinto. Hello, Pedro. <laughs> James, great to be on the show. How well, are you? We're very honoured to have you have you with us. It's a busy week, isn't it, for you? Because I think on, on Thursday, are you going to be reaching into UEFA's sack and drawing out their balls? That's so inappropriate. I refuse to comment on that. What I will say is that I'm flying out there uh, on Tuesday right? Uh, and I'll be presenting the draw alongside uh, Reshmin Chaudhuri wow. uh, on Thursday. Really looking forward to it. I've done it for many years now, but it never gets old. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity. Wow. I mean, that, that really is living the dream. You're in Monaco with Reshmin. You're doing the Champions League draw. And then on Friday, do you stick around to do the Europa League one as well? I don't. I'm just Champions League. I'm Champions League, James. Right. So that, so that gig is free. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> right. Four years. Go and for it. By the way, when you do when you do the Champions League draw, I mean, there's all that build-up. I mean, you, you must be kind of shuffling your feet and all that, waiting to get onto the, the, the good stuff. But then is it really, really exciting? Or are you just too caught up in the work or, or what? Look, I, I think for me, this is one of the highlights of the season because it's the best teams on the planet, all the club CEOs, presidents are there, best players in the world are there as well because they've got the, the awards ceremony right. at the same time as the draw. So, look, I, I can't, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I get a real buzz out of doing it. And I think the draw takes a while, but uh, I think having the, the awards in between every part uh, adds to the entertainment. And for me, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic event. Brilliant. And who's going to draw who this time around? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, let, let the uh, we'll, we'll, let, yeah, we'll keep let, the suspense building, right? Okay. Yeah, we'll keep the suspense. Thank right. you, James. Let's look instead then on uh, the Classico on 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 Saturday because huge win this uh, for Sergio Conceição's Porto against, as I mentioned, the, the the team that had narrowly beaten them to the title uh, again last season. 
Uh, was this a surprise, Pedro, given the way that the, the form had been for these two teams coming into this? Benfica in particular, fresh from three straight victories and yet to concede a goal before this game. I would even use the word shock uh, because uh, Benfica were on a rampage last season as they made up a, a seven-point deficit to Porto. Uh, the new manager, Bruno Lage took over in January. He won 21 of 21 matches. Unbelievable uh, series of results. Uh, they started off very well, won the Super Cup against Sporting 5-0, won their first two league games, as you said, without conceding a goal. And Porto were struggling. They were all over the shop. They lost six first-team players. Um, they were knocked out of the Champions League qualifiers and they already lost one league game and they came in as, as huge underdogs. And uh, I, I think it came down to, to Benfica maybe thinking this would eventually get done as far as uh, winning the match and, and Porto were all over them from the, from the opening whistle and, and they dominated. They dominated the match from, from, from the, the, the opening whistle to, to the final whistle. It was, uh, it was, really, it was really a shock. Bruno Lage, you mentioned, is, is he any relation to the Bruno Lage who was uh, Carlos Cavalier's uh, assistant? The same. Yeah, the he's same the same one, right. So he's yeah. now in charge of Benfica. He is. Um, it was his first management role as, as far as being the first, the first team coach. Uh, of course, he had experience with Carvalhal in the UK, also managed out in the Middle East. But uh, he comes from the Benfica Academy, so he knows the club very well. He was the one that promoted João Félix last season to the starting 11 and we all we all know what he did since then uh, a few other kids came into the to, to the starting 11 florentino who's really highly rated in midfield uh, ferro that means i know you like these translations so it means iron so he's he's very solid in the in, in the back center defense and and like i said that they really they had this magical run at the end of last season to overtake porto and they were Again, uh, cruising in in the first few matches of this season, and this was this was a, a serious setback. Benfica have won five of the last six Portuguese titles, but selling João Felix over the summer for 120 million was it to Atlético Madrid? How much? That's correct. Have they spent that money, and how much is that going to impact their ability to repeat again this season? Do you think? João Felix is a superstar, and that was clear to see from, from the moment he came on as a sub in his first senior game and scored a header against Sporting. And when Bruno Lage put him on during the, the, the second half of last season, he was really the X factor, which allowed Benfica to, to overtake uh, Porto. So it's not easy to replace a player like this, even if he's just a teenager. Um, they've brought in a couple of forwards. Uh, they've spent in the region of uh, 40 million bringing in uh, two forwards, but they've struggled to find the chemistry up front with uh, the Swiss international, Harris Seferovic. Uh, João Felix supplied a lot of the ammunition for him to score last year, and no one's really doing that so far this, this year. Uh, Benfica, as, as you know, rely a lot on their academy. It's one of the top academies on the planet. They've brought through the likes of Bernardo Silva, Renato Sanchez, um, João Cancelo, André Gomes. You know, I could keep on going for a while here. I won't in the interest no, no, of, do, your, do. of your listeners. No, it's gorgeous <laughs> hearing you say these names. But, but you can't guarantee that you're going to come up with, 
with a, a world beater every every year, as far as the academy is concerned. So until they find another player from the academy or until one of these new signings starts to gel, I think they won't be as effective as they were last season. Well, a long way to go, of course, only three rounds into this new yep. season. Pedro, it was brilliant to hear from you. Best of luck then on Thursday. Uh, working you, with sir. with Reshman, which is never easy, and uh, we look <laughs> forward to, diva. Yeah, we look forward to <laughs> we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Hope so, Pedro Pinto. Very good. Uh, shortly, we're going to hey, have a quick word over on what happened in Belgium. But first of all, let's check in on producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line, listeners, as he always is at this time. We're going to start in Spain. Antoine Griezmann, Adrian Durham's favourite player, is off the mark for Barcelona. What are the odds of him being top scorer in La Liga this season? Yeah, a good start for Griezmann, but he's behind a certain Mr Messi in the betting, who is in fact odds-on to be La Liga's top scorer. 8-13 for Messi, 5-1 to for Griezmann. Benzema 7-1, just behind Griezmann. Then you get Hazard at 20-1. to Neymar didn't even play in the league yet at 25 to 1, and then Hal Felix at 33 to 1. It's all underway in Italy now, finally. The goals galore for Napoli in their opener against Fiorentina. So, is this the year that they can finally take the title back to Naples? <laughs> yeah, Napoli definitely won for the neutrals. Juve, though, are the ones for the bookmakers. 4 to 9 that Juventus win the Serie A title. Napoli are 10 to 3. Into 6-1, to one, a bit distant in third, and then it gets really distant, 50-1 to one for AC Milan. And sticking with Serie A, it's Milan versus Brescia on Saturday. Mario Balotelli may well be in action, and if he is, what are the chances of him getting on the score sheet? He's back, expect fireworks, and maybe a goal. It's 7-2 to two that Balotelli scores against Milan. It's 33-1, to one, he's a cap in Canieri this season. And shortest of all, 7-4, to four, he makes the Italy squad for Euro 2020. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Belgium. Vincent Company not having the best of starts there as player coach of Anderlecht. He decided last week that he would be a coach. A player. <laughs> Coaching, I think, still during the week. Mm. But then on weekend, focusing on his playing, they promptly lost again. Uh, they've only taken two points from their opening five matches. This time they got beaten by the champions, Genk. Company himself went off with a muscle injury. What are the odds? And that means he's actually in doubt for his Manchester City testimonial, which is due to be coming up in three weeks' time. So, yeah, one or two problems there at Anderlecht. Not far away in Netherlands. Big sides weren't in action this weekend, but VVV Venlo were featuring Lee Catamol who has now signed on the dotted line, came on with 15 minutes to go in there, 2-1 victory, and got booked for his first foul. How does he feel about that and his move to VVV Venlo? You can find out on totallyfootballshow.com. Nick Miller was speaking to him on Monday. Nice. Uh, In Europe this week, we've got not only the delights of the Champions League and Europa League draw, but we've also got the final round of of qualifying matches which involve... I know Espanyol have got a big game, haven't they? Who are they up against? They are playing the Ukrainian side uh, called um, Soria and they beat them in the first leg 3-1. Well, they're looking good then. So they, they have to defend that scoreline. So I am quite positive they are going to make it. And for those who don't know, Espanyol is a club that has lost already two UEFA Cup finals, one in 1988 in the worst possible fashions because they won the first leg 3-0 
and they lost the second leg 3-0 against Bayer Leverkusen there in Germany and they lost in a penalty shootout. Well, that happened in 1988. In 2007, they lost the final against Sevilla in a penalty shootout as well. So it's a team jinxed somehow jinxed. Uh, in European football. Right. Two-legged finals. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing business. Also in the Europa League this week, you've got Wolves hosting Torino and feeling pretty positive about life themselves, I imagine, after their 3-2 victory in Turin. What, what did you make of that one, James? Fun game. Complicated, uh, I think, by Nicholas Nkulu, the, the centre-back, whose head is clearly elsewhere. Final week of the transfer window, their best defender uh, seems to want to leave. And well, he, he, According to his manager, Walter Mazzari, he refused to play this weekend. Yes, and uh, the owner, Urbano Cairo, came out afterwards um, and was asked about these reports that maybe it's Roma uh, that are behind uh, this this interest in Nkulu. Roma took the sporting director from Torino um, in, in the summer, Petraki, and uh, Caro revealed quite an interesting uh, detail, which is that uh, if Roma want to talk to any Torino player, they have to pay a fine of €900,000 as part of this very tense uh, relationship between the two clubs, which led to Petraki leaving. So Roma put out a statement today saying they're not interested in any Torino players, let alone in Kulu. But that has certainly made life difficult for Torino going to this game. Uh, Torino uh, got a win at the weekend against uh, Sassuolo. Uh, Simone Zaza keeps on scoring goals. Yeah, two this time. Yeah, and yeah, that partnership uh, between him and Belotti um, does look uh, look very good. Um, so Matali said that there's Two of the goals that they conceded in the first leg were very avoidable, uh, all down to themselves, really. It's been quite interesting, the reporting of, uh, of Wolves in the, in the Italian papers. The, the Italians seem to refuse to want to call them an English team, the, the Anglo-Portuguese um, of Wolverhampton. <laughs> <laughs> There's just some, some sort of hybrid between uh, England and Portugal. I think they've got their work cut out. Torino, as we said before, a very solid, kind of typically Italian side, really, um, of the old school. Uh, under Mazzari, I think it's going to be very complicated for them to turn this around. Because their defensive record was regarded as the, their strength here, and they, they go and concede three goals mm. at home. Yeah. In yeah. not the best of circumstances. Mm. All right, then. Well, Europa League action coming up this week. Also, uh, Champions League, the end of the qualifications for that. Uh, you've also had a, a question in, uh, James. Yeah, from Andrew Lang. Ah, him again. Hello, Andrew. How good is... Pinamonti, mm. at 20, he looks like a centre-forward Italy and Inter need. Uh, Pinamonti is on loan at uh, Genoa, or it's one of those convoluted Italian deals where they bought him, but Inter have got a buyback. And um, very promising. I remember Julian Lawrence and I were watching him in the Europa League for Inter a few years ago, and he made an unexpected impact. Um, he went on loan at Frosinone last year. And remember, everyone was talking about Zaniolo, everyone was talking about uh, Moise Kane, or Keane, as he likes to be called. And... Uh, no one was picking up on the fact that Pinamonti was having a very good season with, with Frosinone. He's hit the ground running with, uh, with Genoa, um, scored once and won a penalty uh, in the 3-3 draw against, uh, against Roma. And, you know, I think is, is perhaps the most talented of the bunch, the one who gets talked about the least and probably has the, really? the, bigger, the bigger future, partly because we just don't talk about him a lot. He's got his head right um, and has shown that he can go anywhere and score in different teams, be it with Inter, team that is obviously uh, assembled, equipped to, to fight for cups and titles, Frosinone, team that's there to fight for survival, and now Genoa, a team that's fighting for, for Europe. 
And um, I think playing under Andrea Azzoli as well, um, who was very good um, developing young players at Empoli and the style of football that his teams play. And that was evident in the game against Roma on, on, on Sunday night. That partnership he's got with uh, Kuame could be very promising indeed. So it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Mancini, who loves to call up young players, includes him in his squad for the Euro qualifiers in September. Certainly was a massive debut for him at the Olympico on Sunday and going to be an interesting interesting game for Roma next weekend as they take on a Lazio side who face the other uh, Genoese side, Sampdoria, and 1-3-0. And a very impressive performance there from the Laziali. Yeah. The most impressive performance of uh, the weekend for me. Um, they were exceptional. Um, the result was never in doubt from start to finish. Um, and they're the team that no one talks about. It's early days, but I think they have got a real shout of finally doing it and getting into the Champions League this year. Uh, and I think what was really stunning about that performance against Sampdoria was Milinkovic Savic and Luis Alberto are back to being the Milinkovic Savic and Luis Alberto of a season before last. Milinkovic was practically unplayable. Luis Alberto had two assists in the game. And I think in Lazari, uh, who they signed from Spal, I would say that's going to be one of the signings of the season because I think he's the kind of player that they've been missing since they saw Felipe Anderson to. Um, to West Ham and uh, Immobile got his 100th and 101st goals in Serie A and I know a lot of people criticise him particularly when he plays for Italy but um, you look at his club career those goals 50 goals at home 51 goals away from home I mean that's a very even sort of distribution Um, so yeah they're the team that no one talks about and I think they should be taken very seriously and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest given their that Roma still need to um, sort out their defence and still need to sign a centre-back in the next week if Lazio take full advantage next weekend. Okay, well, I'm sure we're going to be talking about Lazio in next week's show as we react to the derby and all the other many delights that are going on over the weekend around the continent. Uh, Many thanks for now, James. Pleasure. And uh, to you too as well, Alvaro. Thank you. We should have Rafa and Julian back with us, and hopefully you will be along as well, a listener. Have yourself a great week in the meantime. There's loads of other Totally Football show and uh, our sister podcast in the meantime. So enjoy those, and we'll catch up with you next Tuesday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.